Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Time now for the Off Day Podcast with Andy Hart and Chris Scheim on WEEI.com. Here for another Off Day Podcast, Andy Hart alongside the new, new, new and improved second voice on the show, Chris Scheim. This is our traditional All Patriots All the Time podcast. As we mentioned earlier in the week, that's right, we are now doing prospect podcasts, so Feel free to join those each and every week as well. We did cornerbacks the other day. We have wide receivers and all the other positions, or most of the other positions, on the horizon. But for the here and now, this is all things news, notes, and anecdotes from the Patriots. And for this week, that means we go down to a place I will never probably step foot in unless somebody else pays for it for me, the Breakers, (laughs) Palm Beach, Florida, NFL uh, spring owners meetings where Bill Belichick spoke Robert Kraft spoke, Uh, NFL rules were altered a little bit, Matt Patricia was on hand, and people are wondering why exactly, so we'll use that as our leaping off point. Chris Scheim, uh, I'm sure you talked about it on the Greg Hill Show on Monday and Tuesday. Monday was Bill Belichick's turn at the microphone for about 30 minutes. Tuesday was about 10 minutes of Robert Kraft at the microphone in front of a nice leafy backdrop on a Florida morning. Yes. Big picture, grand takeaway. What 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 was your reaction to the comments? Uh, I think Kraft is pissed at how bad Belichick drafted from 2016 to 2020. He did make note of that. Uh, I think now more than ever. I made this comment at the time um, because I was probably a little bit in disbelief and in shock, but I believe it now actually even more after hearing Robert Kraft speak in that Mac Jones was more of a Robert Kraft pick than it was a Bill Belichick pick. Mm, interesting. And that uh, Bill and Robert have uh, sent some tension, and there's a chance Robert is slightly regretting going with Belichick over Tom Brady. Wow. That's, uh, that is that is my major takeaways. The, uh, the last part, um, you certainly read a lot into that. Uh, yes, I did. Getting back to Brady. Uh, I, I find that interesting. I don't know if I would agree. Um, my grand takeaway, I had a few. I mean, it was hard not to have a lot of takeaways from basically 40 minutes of, you know, the two most powerful people in the organization speaking. And I thought speaking in very different tones. And that was my takeaway, my column on WEEI.com this morning, that you had Bill Belichick 
essentially preaching what we had all kind of felt throughout this offseason, patience. We'll see. We'll see. We'll work through that. We'll deal with that when it comes. Like all of these like patient phrases and right out the gates, Robert Kraft said, I'm not happy we haven't won a playoff game the last three years. That wasn't patience. He was no. not preaching patience there. And Which he answered, is weird. It didn't line up, though, with the rest of his comments, right? Well, it was. I thought both guys were extremely contradictory throughout their their um, meetings with the media. I felt that especially with Kraft because he he said like he was like almost like preaching patience or like Belichick was like preaching preaching patience, and then Kraft comes back and goes. If Phil Perry specifically asked him, "So you're okay with a multiple year rebuild?" and Kraft said. I think we can win as soon as this year. Correct. That Correct. made no sense to me. It was um, strange, and I, I mean, I think there's multiple layers when you talk about Robert Kraft. First, I think he, his opening comment was in line with what he prides himself as being, and that's a former season ticket holder turned owner. A guy who you as, you know, Johnny and Quincy or Shime in wherever the hell you live – can feel a connection that he is one of you. He's part of Patriot Nation. He's he not specifically just, says I'm a Patriots fan first, big time. Right, and and then he leads in with, and I'm not happy, damn it, that we haven't won a playoff game in three years. And I think Patriots fans are feeling that, and Patriots fans are feeling the frustration of an off season where he shot down the on the surface he shot it down, but like a net loss of talent. You lost J.C. Jackson. You traded away Shaq Mason. You lost Josh McDaniels. Now he poo-pooed whether that was a net loss of talent, but he knows there's frustration, and I think he he kind of came out with a Mick Foley-like cheap pop. He wanted to get the yep. fans behind him right out the gates. Before questions were even asked, I'm with you, fans. I'm frustrated we haven't won a playoff game. I feel your pain. Then you're right. He goes into, I think we can compete this year. I tell you, the thing that was most alarming to me was – his and it was near the end I think of the 10 minutes where he said um you know I remember back in 2001 and I'm like what that was two decades ago you think the NFL is the same as it was two decades ago I mean Bill Belichick says it all the time you got to do business as business is being done Mm -hmm. and you have teams across both conferences two Super Bowl champions of late every team in your conference it seems like that are all in trading first round picks and doing business a certain way and you're trying to tell me it's 2001 and you're going to have these bargain basement free agents and it's not about collecting talent, it's about building a team and nobody thought we were headline worthy back then, but we won. Yeah, you won. Nobody thinks you really should have won. Even Bill Belichick will tell you that was not a very talented football team yeah. in 2001. Not compared it, to that Rams team. Right. It was an aberrational win. Everything fell into place. You did a great job. And yes, there was a certain spirit to that team. Honestly, and, and kind of feels like the uh, the Bengals of this year. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, although I would argue the Bengals long-term have some upside talent. Very much that, so, yeah. Um, but that Patriots team did, too. The difference is some of it was older and, you know, the Laws and Brewskis and McGinnis of the world. Um, but I just, for him to be noting 2001, like, don't worry, we didn't sign anybody in 2001 either. We just went on and won on that Super Bowl. Yeah, like, I'm kind of getting sick of the nostalgia. Play yeah. now. Do business as business is being done in the NFL now. And can I ask you a question? I, yep. I got I get yelled at by some callers yesterday for claiming that the way Kraft views how to build a team is antiquated and that we can only build the team through the draft. Am I wrong? Like, I, I, I feel like that is very antiquated. Like, yes, you have to have success in the draft. Don't get me wrong. I understand that. But 
the the LA Rams are very much showing you you don't need first and second round picks to do that. You can just hit on a couple guys between the fourth and seventh round, and you everything's going to pan out fine because you just send your picks away for established established players. Yeah, I, I think there's multiple ways to do it. Do I? If you now, I think he said the only way, right, for long term sustained yes, success correct. was to draft well. Yep. That I would disagree with. What I would agree with is the best way, the absolute best way to build and sustain a football team is to draft well because that allows you to then make decisions. Do I want to re-sign this player who I drafted and is good to a big money deal or can I do better in free agency? How do I want to spend my money? Whereas if you don't draft well, it limits your pool of opportunity. Now I really have to trade and or sign well, right? Make really good deals in free agency and in trades. So is it the best way? Yes, I would agree with him. Is it the only way? No, because we all know that, you know, Jared Goff was the last first round pick of the Rams. We all know that, you know, yes, they have core players, Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup. They've also traded away multiple first round picks to get quarterbacks and cornerbacks and hand those people hundreds of millions of dollars and just do it a completely different way. Quite frankly, a way that it seems the NFL has embraced, right? That is all the rage. You know, I wrote that last week. You look, even, you know, Josh McDaniels, Dave Ziegler, you could argue, have embraced the Rams' way more than their former employers' way. This is the fewest different uh, team, amount of teams picking in the first round ever in the history of the NFL. Eight teams do not have a first-round pick, I believe, is the number. It it really is. And it used to be, you know, those were gold. Can't ever trade those away. Gold. Now now they're overvalued a little bit. And and the thing I find really funny is teams are not only willing to trade their first-round picks— they're willing to trade their first-round picks to acquire an asset that they then have to give boatloads of money to. Tyree right? Kill, Devontae Adams. Yes, it's amazing. Exactly. It's amazing. Like, yeah, I'll give you a one and some other stuff. Plus, I'll give this guy 25 to $30 million a year or $70 million guaranteed or whatever it is. It used to be one or the other. I'll trade my first-round picks for a young asset or something that's under contract. Now, they're willing to go all-in on elite superstar talent. And I think that would be the one thing that I believe might be a little antiquated beyond just the philosophy is the belief that you know one to 53 wins in the nfl more so than the belief that elite talent wins it's one to ten and then a couple other guys that play roles well well like and what i would argue is the 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 narrative will tell you the patriot way was depth special teams all of those things no the patriot way was tom brady well but i'd go deeper than that the Patriot way was Tom Brady working with Randy Moss, Wes Welker, yeah. Rob Gronkowski, Julian Edelman, people who are either in the Hall of Fame. Corey Dillon. Even or, for a yes, period. Or, or borderline Hall of Famers. And on the other side of the ball, that also included Ty Law and Richard Seymour, right? Those are Darrell Revis, Stephon Gilmore, and, and Hall of Fame had, talents. And when they had success, right, they were either spending money or trading picks. You traded for Corey Dillon. You traded for Randy Moss. You traded for Wes Welker. You signed Darrell Revis. You signed Stephon Gilmore. Uh, like, it's very rare that they drafted guys that then became the studs, right? Outside of Gronk, Gronk was maybe the exception. Edelman you got lucky with, let's be right. honest. He was a seventh-round pick that you just happened to take who used to be a quarterback at Kent State. Like, stop it if you think that that was a planned route for Julian Edelman. It wasn't. And and so uh, to, to think that the only way you can build the team is through the draft, to me, is asinine. Like, it has to be a little bit of everything, right? Uh, especially in when you look at this year's draft, 
I don't know about you, but the rest of the NFL is telling me that this draft class stinks, at least in the top. Like, well, there is no cream of the crop in this draft because nobody gives a crap about their first-round pick. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I, what they're trying to spin it as, and there's two different PR talking points here. What the league is spinning it as, oh, it's deep, deep. Not a huge difference between 21 and 51 and the whole trade-down scenarios and all those yeah, things. they stink. So that's a little bit of a spin. And I'd also say, I think Robert Kraft is spinning. I think he had a PR talking oh, point. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, we're not doing anything in free agency? You know what I'll tell him? The draft is where it's at. The draft is the most important thing because that is a that is a, a a destination that's on the horizon. Is it that, or is he trying to dodge the idea that he doesn't want to spend money? Uh, it it could be that. Um, now that will come into fruition certainly next year because even people that are like uh, accepting of this bridge year and not spending are like, well, they're they're gonna have eighty five, ninety five, hundred million dollars next year. Don't worry, next year is when they're gonna spend which I kind of countered a little bit in my Sunday Notes column in WEEI.com, yeah, they'll have a lot of money. somewhere will between they actually spend fifth, it? Well, well, no, not, not only that issue. I think they will. They always spend to the cap. The issue is they'll have the fifth or sixth most salary cap space in the league. 14 teams will have at least $50 million in cap space. So yeah. you'll be bidding for talented players. Bidding against half the league, quite literally, will be on the lookout for expensive, high-end free agents and I don't know I don't know how confident I am that they will quote-unquote outbid other teams even if they have the salary cap space and you know that's when they end up signing a bunch of mid-tier guys or giving Kyle Duggar a contract extension or some of these other guys could get contract extensions you spent your money but were you really aggressive in the pursuit of new talent and so so that's a year away We'll get to that point. Um, getting back to the comments, certainly one of the talking points for Bill Belichick. Uh, a lot of questions asked about the coaching staff, Joe Judge, Matt Patricia, who's going to be the offense coordinator, who's going to call plays, who's going to work with Mac Jones, is he going to work with Mac Jones, is Joe Judge going to work with Mac Jones? Um, I thought it was interesting how much he contradicted himself in some of those answers when he said, you know, Basically, that'll play itself out. We'll deal with that when we have to. He joked, oh, we don't have to call plays for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody asked, well, what are you doing now? I think Curran said, well, what are you doing now? And he said, well, you know, the draft. Uh, we're scouting our opponents, some that we're not familiar. Wait a minute. That's a long ways away, too. Why are we scouting our opponents that you're not familiar with for September if you're not preparing to call plays for September? Isn't that a contradiction? Like, you're not preparing the process of which you're going to call plays. You're joking about that'll deal with itself when it comes, but you're preparing for some unfamiliar opponents? You're contradicting yourself in the way you're handling this offseason. So do I think he knows who's calling plays? Probably. And he's just deferring. Now, there was a, way too much Matt, Patricia, Joe Judge talk for my oh, liking. Oh, God. I wanted to vomit. And he, did, I will say he did mention Nick Cayley, my guy, yep. and he did say something to the effect of um, – I'm you sure he'll have Troy. more responsibilities, and as his experience grows, so have his responsibilities, and I think that'll keep going, or something like that. So I took that as, okay, maybe I'm right. Maybe he is going to be the guy and be the offensive coordinator. But there was also just a lot of, Joe Judge is a great coach. Matt Patricia is a great coach. That may be, coach. But I don't believe with your contention that a coach is a coach, and just because a guy was a great special teams coach, He's going to be a great quarterbacks coach for your franchise. That's what annoyed me. Yeah, I, 
I don't know. It's just Belichick. No, I don't know. It's just Belichick pumping up his little puppies. That's all it is, and it's it's becoming infuriating to me because I just I don't I don't see it. I don't see a plan. I don't see. Uh, I just I don't I just don't see it. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I guess I don't know what I'm looking for. I'm looking for well, something identifiable to me that makes sense because none of this does. Well, can I tell you the first thing I said to Mutt on Monday night when I went in to do his show after Bill had spoken during the day was I felt like, and, and you may not remember this quote, but Gunnar Olszewski, I think last year was the year he said, the most important thing for punt returning is turning your brain off because your brain just gets in the way. If you think out there, you just got to react and run. Yep. I feel like that's how you have to, as a media member or a fan, I feel like that's how you have to approach a Bill Belichick press conference. Just turn your brain off and accept whatever he gives you. Because if you think with logic and reason and You'll question, never get anywhere. You'll grow frustrated because you'll listen to his words and you'll be like, well, that doesn't make sense or that's a contradiction or yep. you ignored me there. You said nothing. You didn't answer the question. Like You have to shut your brain off to listen to Bill Belichick's press conferences. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. It's... Because he's just, it's driving me insane trying to figure it out. And there's just nothing to figure out because Belichick doesn't want to actually give you anything. So he'll say something, Kraft will contradict, and then there's it's somewhere in between there and you just don't know. And he was particularly short. Even questions that he answered for the most part uh, yeah, were like... He went 30 minutes, but he was like short in his answers. Yes, One or two sentences per question for the most part. Yeah, there like with the few... Malcolm Butler question that Volant asked. It's like, hey, you know, Malcolm Butler's coming back. Have you Did you guys talk about the uh, the Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl? And he's and like, he, what? First thing Bill says, about the what? <laughs> the Eagles about Super the what? Bowl. Oh, that's what? old news. Oh, that's old news. There's no chance he didn't hear that question. Of course. I know and the then... acoustics weren't great, but there's no chance he didn't hear that or could have at least assumed it because he knew that question was coming. 100%. And then Volan immediately responded with, and what about Malcolm Butler? And all Belichick said was, yeah, glad he's back. Yeah. Un- he, he was definitely... I think intentionally short. Like I think he oh, went yeah. in with when he sat down with Bears Nigerian, his his guy and and Stacy James and whoever prepped him. He definitely the plan was short answers, not going to talk. You know, smile, couple jokes, uh, very vague answers, deflect everything, don't talk about anything. Like that was the game plan. And for then this when person. they ask about uh, Pat Matt Patricia or Joe Judge or Matt Grow just praise them up the wazoo. Yep. Make those my longer answers and then get out. Yeah, no it. So let's get into Patricia in particular because I know he's one that first of all he was there. He was at the combine with his wife. Bill's girlfriend was there. Linda, you think he's at the were... Alabama pro day today? Not to timestamp this, but I know oh, I... Mike Reese tweeted out earlier. It's safe to assume that a Patriots person L will be at. Alabama Pro Day today, I assume it'll probably be what, Matt Patricia uh, and Bill Belichick? Yeah, I'd be stunned if they weren't. Yep. I'd be absolutely stunned if they weren't there together. I don't know if the wives went with them and girlfriends, but they'll be there together sharing more time as Down they do. Down in Tuscaloosa. They seem to love time together. Um, but a lot of people were questioning, like, hey, why is Matt Patricia there? Like, what's his role? Uh, I think even Volan asked specifically, you know, he's he's going to be an assistant coach. You just mentioned him on the offensive side of the ball, Bill. Is he also still a salary cap guy? Does he have a unique role? And Bill said, like, in many different ways, varied role, does a lot, yes. multifaceted. Yeah, Fourier called him oddball from uh, from the 007. Oh, I'm sorry, oh, odd job yeah, from yeah, the yeah. 007. So I, I, a simple question, and I think most people had this, like, next step. This was a talking point earlier in the week. Is he next in line? Is he being groomed to be the next head coach I, and the next organizational runner of the New England Patriots? I believe and hope not. 
I didn't ask you what you hoped for. I said, is he? Uh, no, I'm going to I'm going to outright say no, because I just I I think that when Belichick is done, Robert and Jonathan will go in a very different direction. See, I don't. I actually think there's a very good chance oh, he could God. be groomed. And you just mentioned the most important part. It's not his relationship with Bill. It's not, is he a Bill guy? Would Bill want him? Would Bill select him? It's, is he a Kraft guy? Would the Krafts want him? Most importantly, in my opinion, maybe Jonathan Kraft, would they want him? And I think they would. No. I think Matt Patricia is oh, absolutely no. their kind of blend of, of old school football guy, new school analytics, engineering, I've said this before on this podcast. He helped them overhaul the scouting department's computer systems and the way they did business. Good. He's really smart. He stinks as a coach. Like, outright blows. Well, you're being a little mean. I mean, but look at what he did in Detroit. He took a team that was basically a playoff team and turned them into a perennial top five pick. Like, come okay. on. So so, so he had a bad stretch as a head coach. <laughs> a lot of people in Detroit have had bad stretches as head coaches. I agree. Uh, Jim Caldwell didn't. <laughs> and he had a mediocre from, stretch. Yeah, and they went from mediocre to god-awful. Like, I don't it, – don't get – like, even – Why are you shooting the messenger here? I didn't make the damn I know, decision. I know. I'm just – it makes me infuriated to think that Matt Patricia could have any lasting impact on this Patriots organization outside of helping with the computer systems. Because to his credit, very smart guy, aerospace engineer. I I understand that. Very smart individual. I don't I'm not saying he's an idiot. I'm just saying when it comes to NFL coaching, he's a bit of a boob. Probably uh, a smart guy elsewhere. Uh quick off total tangent off topic assignment for you. Okay. There is a commercial that's been airing very frequently, at least on the stuff I'm watching. And I think some of it is sports. Some of it is, I, I want to say, the NCAA tournament, actually. Yep. I believe it's, is General Dynamics the big, like, um, military company? They build crap for the military, I think. Sounds right. Rhode Island. The General Dynamics commercial, and I swear the voiceover guy is Matt Patricia. <laughs> so I want you to I listen If you see a General Dynamics commercial and it's like, you know, welding and, oh, I build things and this and that, whatever. I don't even remember, like, the – but I swear it's Matt Patricia's voice. So watch for that and let me know if you think it could be Matt Patricia's voice. Will do. Aside. Over. So back to Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. Bill was asked specifically about being spread too thin. Didn't say that. Surrounded by good people that he trusts. He kept going back to. Do you feel better, worse, or indifferent about – Mac Jones, the coaching staff, the year two jump after Bill and Robert spoke this weekend. Uh, I feel this is going to surprise people. I feel worse about the coaching staff and the Patriots as a team. I feel better about Mac Jones. Oh, well, I said something about Mac Jones because I feel like he's getting a little bit railroaded here with the coaching and everything. Oh, 100%. I agree. And I, you know me, very not into Mac Jones. And I think... This is actually turning out very well for him because even if he does stink next year, it's not his fault. Well, I kind of think he's in a no-lose situation. If he's not good, the plan sucked. It wasn't his fault. And if he is good, I think people are going to be like, that kid's amazing because he, he succeeded in spite of a very strange, less-than-ideal dynamic in yes. New England. Yeah, and it's it's tough for my argument because I cannot, I'm not going to be able to uh, do anything with it. Seeing well, as if he's if- good. You have to admit exactly. He's well, great. if if he's if he's great this year, I just have to eat crow and live with it. Yes. And if he's bad, I can't I can't rag on him because this team blows. The cook the coaching staff stinks. Joe Judge is going to be his 
quarterbacks coach, and I wouldn't wish that on any quarterback in the NFL ever. Yeah, if he's, I don't even say great. I think if he's good this year, you got to take the L because I think he's in a setup, a position set up to fail. When you talk about coaching and then the talent around, I mean, he him, has to lack. be, he has to be better than last year, I, and that's not a high bar. Like what? What did he throw for? Thirty eight hundred yards in seventeen he's games. Something in that. Twenty two touchdowns and sixteen picks. If he goes for over four thousand. Uh, just over, it just has to cl- uh, eclipse 4,000, and he throws 25-plus and less than 15 interceptions, I will absolutely eat crow because he but he improved on his performance last year and on top of that did it in a crappy situation. Yeah, And if he doesn't do that, I will continue to sit in my spot. Well, but then I think then you have to be at least, um, you can't be all in harsh on him. Because- I, I, so, I mean, let's, let's be honest. I, on this podcast, uh, at least for the last, what have we been doing this now, a month and a half, two months? Sure. Uh, I have not been uber critical of Mac Jones. I, instead, I have focused my attention on the New England Patriots organization because as much as I disagreed with the Mac Jones pick and the the player itself, uh, they decided to go with him, and that's fine. You just need to build around him, and they have not done that. And so, in my opinion, like, I, 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 I this entire process, I feel like, especially on the morning show and here, I have been very uh, non-critical of Mac Jones since the offseason began because I don't think any of this is his fault. I don't think he is going to be put in whatever situation Belichick and Kraft put him in, and then he has to act accordingly. And if he's put in a crappy situation, I take that into account. And if he's put in a good situation, I would also take that into account. So I, I like to I like to believe that as, much, as critical as I have been about him, I am at least fair and rationally thinking about my approach when evaluating him. Yeah, I don't think you, I mean, you haven't been as harsh on him as you just were with Matt Matt, Patricia. You're not even close. So, but there's also more track record and and information and and things to go on with Matt Patricia. Let's get back to Robert Kraft's comments for a minute. And I know some people, uh, certainly callers that I I was talking with uh, or listening to on Merloni and Fourier yesterday, they... They think Bill's on notice a little bit here. He that he's yeah, on a hot they, seat. Somebody said that on the morning show yesterday too. Do you do you agree with that? No. Could you see that playing out in the next twelve months or anything like that? I think Robert Kraft's press conference indicated to me Belichick has at least a few more years. In my and I, I think I said this on the morning show. I think I think he has at least within him the duration of the Mac Jones contract. Um, oh. I think that's that, a long time. That's yeah, that's, four I mean, that's years. three years after this year. Yes, yeah, so four more years, including yeah. this year. Well, and assuming they give him the fifth year option, but yeah, my, that would be my assumption. And if they don't, then it's only three years, regardless, three or four years. Uh, and that is my belief because either a Belichick has established a franchise quarterback for the for the organization, and he can leave, and they can go from there. And Kraft can do exactly what he wants and find a great coach to pair with his already great quarterback and great coach to replace his already great coach. Uh, or option B, Mac Jones stinks. They need to move on anyways, so why not just start completely fresh coach and quarterback like a lot of teams in the NFL do? So I thought it was interesting that um, the way Mac Jones was talked about by the two yesterday with yep. with Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft, particularly Robert Kraft, you mentioned, had a lot of nice things to say. Big fan. Uh, I also found it interesting that he said, paraphrasing a little bit here, but he used the word edge. Has yep. more of an edge than we've seen. He was respectful yes. as a rookie. I love that. And, and uh, we've talked about this on this podcast before. I thought Mac Jones took on a different tone in his post-game press conference after the playoff loss in Buffalo. 
And I, I think we could see a different leadership style. I have long been a believer that to be a great leader, you have to have some a-hole in you. Great leaders cannot always be nice. Agreed. When you're going to be the quarterback or you're the middle linebacker, sort of the heart of a, a unit or a team, you got to be able to kick some people in the ass every once in a while, slap them in the face, so to speak. And I think Mac has that edge. I'll be interested to see how that comes to the surface. Uh, but even Bill, when asked a question about, because he, he talked about the re-signings, the, the older players we've talked about, Matthew Slater and Devin McCourty and James White. And he said those are, I think he said, exceptional people to bring back, exceptional human beings, something yeah, of that nature. did Bill also say not too long ago he doesn't work with, want to work with a-holes anymore? Uh, yeah, he's been, he's said that quite a bit. And yeah. that's great. And then Matt, I think Mike Reese, somebody asked about, well, what about like the next generation of leadership? And he immediately said, well, I think Mack will slide into that role soon here. <sighs> then he brought up Jawan Bentley, which I didn't care for as much. He's already been a captain and has already been here for four years and is a little more established. But um, the idea that, the, I mean, they have to, I guess, express this publicly, but the owner and the head coach were all in that Mac. this is Mac Jones's team. And I think there's value in that. Like, I mean, Robert even said, "What? how did he say it? We, we have an exceptional head coach, and I think we have our quarterback. Yes. And that's what matters kind of stuff. Like, yep. when you have that as your foundation, now, now it's building around that. And for them, even as a Pro Bowl rookie, whatever, for Mac Jones to be anointed, I think is is a good sign internally. I also just think that's some posturing too, to some degree. Like you have Probably. to you have to support your young rookie quarterback if you Probably. want him to have long standing success. And I also think that the whole edge and leadership stuff is uh, cool. I I I, I agree wow. with you in that. Wow. Certain the great players have to be a bit of an a hole, but just because you're a bit of an a hole or have an edge doesn't mean you're also a great player. They're not. Oh, no. Like, no, 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 no. And, and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, so no, that's no, I didn't kind mean of, that at all. No, I know you don't. And uh, But I'm just saying, like, that's where I'm coming from is it's like, okay, like, he was at the Boys and Girls Club yesterday. He donated a $100,000 check. I think that's amazing. He is a He's probably a great human being, and moments like that should be praised and lauded and, and the whole nine. I agree with that. It doesn't make necessarily make him a great NFL quarterback. No. Like, it, like I even, look at it as... One of my favorite players, just having watched him in college and evaluated him to that and and kind of wished he had been in a better scenario, Derek Carr, I, I think he is a tremendous guy, like top to bottom. You know, it, his religion plays into that the whole night. Yeah. I, think he, I think he has a bit of an edge. I think he can be a good leader. But unfortunately, he just hasn't been a great quarterback. He's been good, just not great. And, and I, I, I love the guy, but it's just, it is what it is. Like and I think I think you see that a lot of times with a lot of players. They can be good leaders and they can have an edge and all that, but it doesn't necessarily make you great, and it doesn't necessarily always win football games. Unfortunately, agreed. Uh, we don't need to get into the Derek Carr debate. I'm not sure he has the a hole you need to be a great leader. I okay, think he's maybe is too nice of a guy. Fair. Um, yeah, he's certainly a nice guy. I mean, the way he's handled some of these things, most notably the the Henry Ruggs situation For sure. is is laudable yeah but i also don't know that he has that a-hole to to steer the ship and, and you and you know what maybe he just hasn't had his stefan Diggs. now that is Devonte adams maybe he takes a massive jump who knows 100 we'll find out this year but but unfortunately for mac jones he doesn't have that either <laughs> he does not but mac jones does have the support not only of robert Kraft and bill belichick but josh mcdaniels had some really nice things to say about him 
and he has at various points downplayed the idea that he doesn't have um, a guy like McDaniels side by side with him right now, saying like you're not even really allowed to coach the guys until late April and early May. Like he's kind of on his own right now, yep. and he has great faith that Mac on his own is focused, is dedicated, is doing what he needs to do. Sure, at the I very bet he is. Least. And and I would I would assume that's true. Yep, I find I it agree. hard. I know we see these memes and everybody jokes about, you know, he's eating cookies and playing, they got the little video game headset on, and I see that across my Twitter handle uh, every now and then. But I'm going to assume that Mac Jones is doing absolutely everything he needs to do for his part. I don't, that doesn't mean it's going to work, but he's doing everything he needs to do and thinks he needs to do to take his game and his leadership and his playmaking and everything to the next level next year. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, sure. I, I just, I don't know that it, it goes I have a trouble having Mac Jones conversations with you because you are dismissive of Mac Jones. Well, it's not that I'm dismissive. It's like, oh, you're I, dismissive. Well, yeah, because I... Thank I, you, I, you admitted it at least. Sure. I am dismissive of the Mac Jones comments because, as, I, as I've already stated, not a fan of the quarterback. I just don't think he's that good. Uh, and so, but I also can't... I cannot. I, I've argued the point so much at this at this juncture that I cannot further the argument for myself or against myself because it's like one season where he was fine, he was good, he wasn't great. Okay, like I, I don't know. Where, I don't know where to go from here. I have to just for me, Mac Jones is a wait and see game. I understand he has all these intangibles. Blah blah blah. Cool. Good for you. Intangibles do not just only make a quarterback great. There's a lot more to it than that. And so I understand he has these intangibles that people love, and he's a grinder and has an edge and blah, blah, blah. But I, I, I don't care until I see it on the field, until I see the product that indicates to me this is a great quarterback. Which is, uh, I believe, a line that Robert Kraft threw out there. I, I, I'm, I'm in a results business, or I focus yes. on results. Yes, he that, is. In that, he was focusing on Bill Belichick's results. And I am that focusing answer. on Max's results. Right. And, and I also found another contradiction. Robert was focusing on Bill Belichick's results over the two-decade span at that point as a positive after he had opened with Bill Belichick's results over the last three or four years have been negative. Yes, I exactly. thought that was an interesting contradiction there um, from ownership. Okay, let's move on. So those were sort of our takeaways from Robert Kraft, Bill Belichick, the state of the team, everything that took place at the uh, the breakers down in Florida. One of the moves that happened this week, I said one of, maybe the move that happened this week, and not overly exciting, but at least it's a big name, former first-round pick Jabril Peppers. Safety, uh, jack-of-all-trades, defensive back, drafted by the Browns, traded to the Giants, and I believe the Odell Beckham deal, if I remember I believe that correctly. is correct, yes. Uh, and Jabril Peppers played for... Yes, Joe Judge, over the last couple of years with the New York Giants, was a captain for him. Um, I know reading some stuff before Joe Judge was fired, he was already talking about wanting to bring back Jabril Peppers. Now, Jabril Peppers has dealt with injury, including right now coming back from a torn ACL that I think limited him to six games a year ago, um, but has missed, I believe, a total of 17 games over the last three seasons due to injury, um, has only had one full NFL season, I would argue has never lived up to the hype coming out of Michigan where he was, some thought he might be like a top half of the draft uh, first round pick. He did everything at Michigan, was a jack of all trades on defense, Master but also played none. running back and quarterback and, and wide receiver, returner. And so he joins the Patriots secondary on a one year uh, low money deal. What do you think? 
So, okay, so I got a positive and a negative. I'll give you the negative first. No, come positive. You're always okay. giving negatives. Can you bring a positive for once? I think the Patriots are showing you exactly what they're going to do on defense this year. Good. That was my next question. Uh, the, the positive is the Patriots are indicating to you they are going to go lighter on defense because they are going to prepare to defend the pass. Granted, their cornerbacks aren't great, but... They could still add to that in the draft and in free agency. There's a couple guys still hanging around that they could add for veteran presence. Um, but they are. this is an ind- a clear indication to me they are preparing to defend the pass uh, with like six, seven guys on every play. So they're throwing numbers at a problem. Yes, they are throwing numbers at the pass. They're doing they're, no. Actually, I think he's. I think Belichick is taking a page out of the Vic Fangio, Brandon Staley book. Um, one of the ways they play defense is they just they have their guys, their four defensive linemen line up. Normally, when you want a pass rush, you line up the five technique outside the outside the tackle, so you can get in the pass rush lane, get out, get the quarterback. What what the Staley Fangio defense do instead has them line up directly in front of the tackle in the, in the four technique, so that they can still technically pass rush, but also they're better suited to defend the run. And they rely specifically on those four guys on the down line to defend the run. And that allows them to then drop a bunch of guys in coverage. And I think Belichick is indicating to you, I was wrong in our podcast two days ago. I don't necessarily think this is going to be a man defense. Uh, This is just going to be a heavy defensive back safety defense. Uh, You're going to see a lot of one linebacker on the field scenarios. Uh, and that linebacker at this point will probably be Juwan Bentley because he's good at stopping the run. You stick him in the middle of the field. You say, hey, move around in this zone a little bit, but for the most part, you're going to help stop the run. And then they're going to have, my math, six corners and safeties on the field almost every single play. Okay, so we will. Um, there's a lot to pick through here. Yep. First thing I joked about was, you know, they re-signed Devin McCourty. They signed Jabril Peppers. They already have Adrian Phillips and Kyle Duggar. And I jokingly said, well, everybody thinks they need to add corners and linebackers. I'm just going to add safeties because they're kind of a blend between corners and linebackers. And I can't find corners and linebackers at my price point because J.C. Jackson's making $80 million and Bobby Wagner wants $10 million a and year. That or whatever was my negative. So, so that's my – and I'd also look at this and say if they – first of all, they've been a heavy, at, at the bare minimum, 5DB team forever now. They're, they've been a, a sub-defense is their base defense kind of team forever now. Um, so that it's not a huge transition. Bill has loved the extra safety over the years. I mean, certainly Adrian Phillips was a borderline linebacker two years ago, and we talked about it. And I look at this and say, well, I know what Bill would do. He would run the ball down your throat. If you want to put five and six defensive backs on the field at all times and just say those are actually linebackers, He'll run it down your throat just the way he did in the playoff uh, game against the Chargers a couple years ago, where they said, Sony Michelle, James Devlin, go to work. And they went to work and ran it down the Chargers' throat, frustrated the Chargers, beat the Chargers, moved on. It was sort of the story of their offseason. They kept doing it. Um, and, I, and I look at their schedule because Fourier, I was talking to Fourier about this yesterday. He's like, well, who in the NFL like, wants to run the ball? Well, <laughs> actually, actually, a few teams. <laughs> sneaky lot of teams. Yep. Colts, Titans, Browns, Steelers, 49ers. Ravens. Like, but I'm just sticking in the AFC. Yeah, true. Five top teams in the AFC are 
run first or run heavy or run based, whatever the term is you want to use. And like, that's your competition. Like, if you play the Cleveland Browns, which I believe is on the road this year. Well, now they have Deshaun Watson, so they might want to pass a little more. Yeah, maybe. They might also want to just keep handing it off to Nick Chubb. And I mean, Cincinnati may have Joe Burrow, but Joe Mixon still runs the ball a crap load of times. Right. And that's like, I, I don't know that you're solving a problem here as much as you're just creating um, a new one. Yeah. Just creating a different problem. And I will say maybe philosophically, because there's no bigger cliche in football sort of like um, predicting and prognostication and analysis than, you know, let the other team run the ball and, and, and you know, s- slow the scoring down, slow the game down. And that's how you as a Patriots team that maybe doesn't want to get in shootouts, isn't quite yet capable of scoring 30-plus points with regularity with your young quarterback and lack of weapons. Like, I guess, is that all one, like, complementary game plan where we hope the other team does run the ball on our undersized defense? Because A, when they're running it, they're not throwing it. And B, when they're running it, they're keeping the scoring down and the drives are longer. Like, is that part is that I, part of the big picture? I think so. I, I think that's the plan. I think Belichick is going to dare teams to to run the ball against him because he knows that in a game that's run heavy, his offense will also be run heavy, and he can match an, just about any opposing team's rush offense. And, okay. and so, on a points basis, it's going to be low scoring, close games, and that's what he's going to play for. Which makes sense because right now. You can't really throw the ball very well. Uh, I mean, at least your targets aren't that great. So, uh, it, it makes sense to me. Okay, so let's let's continue just this overall analysis. So this offseason, if you believe everything that we've seen and or heard, they told their fullback that his position would no longer be on the roster. Mm-hmm. Yet we think they might be wanting to run the ball and get into run-based games. And they took their best offensive lineman, a run-blocking guard, and traded him. Mm-hmm. How does that fit into this big picture scenario? Um, well, they also haven't added anything to the pass game, so <laughs> I can't outright say that they definitely want to pass the ball either. Like it's, I just assume that they want to run the ball because that's what they did last year. Right? Um, they still and have. They those still, running I mean, backs. they have two-headed running back monsters. Yep. Like I think we all have pretty good confidence that they have two good running backs. Agreed. And I think I think one of the points that you made when we talked about Jakob Johnson leaving was that there's a chance maybe one of those tight ends that kind of yep. didn't pan out as a tight end gets slid to fullback. And so. that Jakob's not that good and we can get similar production out of that position. Out of with, a guy that's already on our roster that we have to pay. Yeah. yeah. Somebody else, somehow we can scheme it, but it's a roster spot wasted if we stick yep. with him. I think so that's, I, I think that's the likely scenario. Okay, so I think there is probably something to that. Um, but I'm still a little, like, I, I heard, it seemed like the general reaction to Peppers was, oh, I don't hate it. Like, it's a one-year deal, the guy rehabs, he gets back out there, he's I versatile. I didn't love it. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't hate it either. Like, I don't hate Malcolm Butler. You needed corners, yeah. he played for you, knows the scheme. He looks like he's in great shape from what I see on Instagram and Twitter. Dude shredded right now. So maybe he is ready for a comeback like you didn't give up a lot to get him I don't know how you could possibly hate that move just like this Peppers move even though I don't think you necessarily needed a safety you signed a former first round pick who's versatile on the cheap like why would I hate this move like Bill might find good ways to use him I just don't know how much better this makes you as a football team yeah I I don't think it makes you any I don't think it moves the needle at all like it's like cool there's more depth um okay 
Like, right, like you still need to address your, you still have the exact same issues. Like, it's fine. It's a fine signing. You add a guy for depth purposes, you clearly want to have a plethora of different safeties. So, I mean, hey, good for you. But the way I would look at it is, even though I know, I think Jonathan Jones tweeted out, like, positionless football, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I know that's the theory. We're going to positionless football and the defensive backfield is interchangeable, blah, blah, blah. I still think you need corners and safeties on some level. And I would argue right now with Duggar, Phillips, McCourty, Peppers, and Mills, you have five starting caliber safeties. Five starters at safety. Yep. Problem is you have zero at cornerback. And that's why Mills is a corner and who knows what else will happen at cornerback. Because like, I don't even really consider – I know Jonathan Jones is coming back, but he's a slot corner. So I guess you could say as a start, you know, he's a starting slot corner. But like I – the 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 breakdown of your talent in and Bill will say, oh, you can never have too many good football players. I don't know. Maybe you have too many good football players at safety right now, and not enough good football players at corner. That's how I would look at it from afar. Yeah, I I, I think I think they need to address these other issues. Like, yeah, God, if I could speak, the Jabril, yeah, the Jabril Peppers signing is fine. I, you have a bunch of starting caliber safeties. Good for you. You don't have any linebackers. You only have Juwan Bentley. Uh, you you don't have enough cornerback depth in my opinion. I don't think your quarterbacks are any your cornerbacks are any good really either. So on top of not having great depth, you don't have great talent either. I think that's a major problem. So I, I just and I also think you need another pass rusher like outside uh, opposite of Matt Judon. So I just think there's so many issues that this team needs to address. And just Juwan Bentley, you brought his name up again, and I know earlier you said oh one linebacker on the field, Juwan Bentley. I don't think Juwan Bentley makes plays, personally, in the run game no, or the pass game. I don't and think he's great. I, I didn't want him to resign him. I told it, you that. In your scenario, I think Juwan Bentley will absolutely lead the team in tackles, will have 100-plus tackles in 17 games, yeah, and the I'm Patriots' obsessed. run defense may give up 4.9 yards per carry yep. as a team because I, I think he makes a lot of tackles more. four, five, six, seven yards downfield. Like, he doesn't make plays. Like, Brandon Spikes, I just said like, 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 like three times in like a sentence. Uh, Brandon Spikes, when he was their run-stuffer linebacker, he made plays. He came up and blew up guards. He would make plays in the backfield. I don't see Juwan Bentley doing that enough. I see him catching running backs seven yards downfield, and it's now second and three for the offense, and they can do whatever they damn well please. So I don't even feel great about that linebacker that they have resigned, and he's a leader, and and all these things. So I think there's still a hole there. Speaking of holes, I put out a poll the other day asking what the Patriots' biggest need is heading toward draft weekend. We are coming up on about a month before the 2022 NFL draft. It'll be Thursday night, April 28th, and I'd ask you to tune in to WEEI because myself and Mike Muttmanansky will be, in a, be doing a draft night show for four or five action-packed hours Chris Scheim may be asked to join at some point, at least via the phone. And uh, on that night, what do the Patriots need most? And I posed cornerback, number one receiver, linebacker, offensive line. And neck and neck, dead heat. Very close race, but just winning at the tape by a nose was wide receiver. Just, I think it was like 36 to 35% wide receiver beat cornerback. Do you agree with that assessment? How does that fall into our continuation of the Patriots' offseason needs based on the fact that they didn't add a number one receiver and they didn't add a number one corner? Yeah, I think they 
it's tough because I think they need a number one corner and a number one receiver desperately. I think both of those two are their biggest need. Determining which is the absolute biggest, I'm going to go cornerback. I just think at least at receiver you did it last year is kind of how I'm selling myself on this. Is it's yep. like you, you you with exactly what you have you kind of did it last year, and so if your strategy is going to be we're going to be a run first team anyways, then you need to play decent. You need to play better defense, and, yep. and in order to do that, you need a number one corner. And so that's why I'm at to this very moment. Ever since I said it on Monday, I am more and more convincing myself that Andrew Booth may be selected at twenty one overall. Yeah, I think if you just go purely by depth chart, corner is the answer. Yep. It has to be the answer. You. I just said it. I'm not sure you have a starting caliber corner. You lost your number one corner over the course of the last year. You lost two number one corners in Stephon Gilmore and J.C. Jackson. You don't have anybody ready to step up and step in. And if you look at receiver, would you like to have a true number one playmaker? Absolutely. But you have Mac Jones's go-to guys from a year ago in Kendrick Bourne and and Jacoby Myers, like so, you ha- and and I know some people are holding out hope that Nelson Aguilar is going to take some sort of a leap forward. So you have bodies there at the very least, productive bodies, guys who have been there and done that for you. So I do think, but then that doesn't mean I necessarily believe they should draft a corner at twenty-one. I'm still on the the bandwagon for Jamison Williams, and uh, there was a a very alarming writers mock draft. I'm not sure if you saw it on the Athletic where. All their various writers from around their NFL cities did a mock draft. And the Patriots were on the board at 21. Who nice. Jamison Williams is on the board. And they take Zion Johnson, guard, Boston College. Vomit. And I believe Aaron Rodgers' Packers took Jamison Williams next. So Aaron Rodgers got his new Devontae Adams. Meanwhile, Bill Belichick made a lateral move by filling the void that he chose to create by trading Shaq Mason and filled it with Zion Johnson, who... Maybe a great guard. Like, that's fine, but it's a lateral move. You had a really good guard last year. Yeah, you, I don't... You didn't you I upgrade. Don't, I don't th- yeah, I don't think that that makes any sense to me. I, I, I don't think guard makes any sense to me whatsoever for the New England Patriots because, like you just said, you're making a lateral move. If that's the case, then why not just keep Shaq Mason and use your first-round pick somewhere else? Like, you're basically going to pay him the same amount because he's a first-round pick, and maybe not right off the bat, but eventually. Um, and so, I, I just... I don't, I don't think that makes any logical sense at all. Agreed. A- in Agreed. any way, shape, or form, I would have, I would have made, I would have been able to understand linebacker, corner, receiver, even, even pass rusher. I don't yep. think guard yep. in the first round makes any sense. Yeah, not a big fan. And if it right. happens on draft night, I am going to lose my mind because I mean, that is, this is just, that would just be stupidity. I loved to. Uh, I loved Logan Mankins as much as anyone. I thought he was a great guard, great team leader, and Patriots fans love to point out that he never won a damn thing. Yep, like that was your guy. That was your first round pick. He's a guard. He's great. He's all pro. You gave him money. Never won a damn thing. So I'm looking for more of an impact in my draft, and that would be Jamison Williams. Um, another couple side notes before we wrap up this uh, this off day podcast. The reports out of Carolina through Matt Rule are that the Carolina Panthers and the New England Patriots are going to hold joint practices. Woo. You want to know what's going to be fun about that? What's that? I think there's a realistic chance you get to see Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis uh, a lot <laughs> during those practices. So not that, for the New England Patriots, but for the Carolina Panthers. I got to tell you, the not so much Pickett because he doesn't really excite me, but Willis on the practice field would be something I'd be I'd be looking to watch interested in watching yeah yeah arm tools athlete like 
he'll get lots of opportunities to throw the ball. Like, just see what he can do as a physical specimen, never mind as an actual NFL quarterback on a field. Just watch him on a practice field. I think that would be fun. But um, we, we also should note that it sounds like, anyway, based on league rules, that open locker room is coming back to the National Football League. Ooh. So you'll be getting... More interviews, more stories, more information coming out of the locker room, not just the Zoom sessions that oh the boy. teams have been putting on the last couple of years. And a rules change coming out of the NFL meetings. Overtime in the postseason will now guarantee a possession for both teams. Two-part question. Do you like the rule change? And how would you handle it as a coach? Would you take the ball or would you defer? Okay, I... um. I like the rule change specifically from a content standpoint. I think that in a game similar to that Buffalo-Kansas City game, yep. I want to see another team get the ball because these offenses are freaking awesome, and right. it's fun. Or uh, Patriots-Chiefs a few years back. Exactly. Like I, I think this is a great idea. And if I am confident in my offensive ability, if I was the Buffalo Bills last year, I would have been happy I was getting the ball second because then I can end the game by going for two when I score the touchdown, and it all rides on that. I score the touchdown after the Chiefs score. They get seven. I now have six. I can go for two and end it right there. Yeah, I would I would defer just because I yep. like to know what I need. I want to play with the, the wind. I want to play whatever scenario I have to play, and I will just take the ball second. Right. Thank you very and much. And I know whether a field goal is in play. Like mm-hmm. if they kick a field goal, worst case scenario, I can tie it with a field goal. Yep. Or I can score a touchdown and win. Like I know my right. options. And I yeah. think that is far I think that I think you might actually see a lot of coaches do that. What about the Christian Fourier theory that if you're the first team with possession and you drive down to a touchdown you go for two. Yeah, I mean you can. I I don't. I wouldn't, but I I probably wouldn't either. If I'm if I drive down the field, I think instead you're going to see a lot of teams that get the ball first in overtime take their sweet ass time with the football and kill as much clock as they possibly can to limit possibly the uh, opposing right. team's ability to score. But you got to be careful. You yes. kill clock. Oh, you can't course. kill your production and your your movement. You no, still need agreed. to matriculate down the football field. So those were some of the topics coming out of the NFL Combine. And now, finally, we always wrap up with a little segment of getting to know Chris Scheim. And this one stems from something Scheim tweeted about that I was Ooh. not happy with. It was a 25th, uh, 25 movie ranking oh, yes. from Pixar. And you, this was from the Dork Podcast. You commented on it. I commented on your comment and said Cars was way too low. I think Cars was like 20. Yes, 19, 20, like that. I'm trying to 21, look it up right now. Somewhere down in the bottom, you know, quarter of the list or lower. And I said way too low. And you mocked me for thinking cars should be higher. Why? No, no, no. I didn't mock you. I you just did. Said, I said, I can quote myself. I said, you being a big cars guy is less surprising than Robert Kraft literally backing a truck over Belichick's drafts from 16 to 20. But, I didn't, I didn't disparage cars at all. Just you liking cars makes a lot of sense to me. But what does that mean? Explain yourself. Uh, I think uh, Cars is a fun, action-packed movie. I don't think it's the best of the Pixar movies. What? But I, knowing you, you love a good, action-packed adventure, and so therefore it just made all the sense in the world that you would like Cars probably more than something like uh, Finding Nemo. But it's got everything. It's not just an action-packed adventure. It's a love story. It's a maturation, coming-of-age story. There's comedy, there's, you know, sadness with Doc and so dying. I have, like, a, I have a question for you. What? Did you, watching that movie, did you ever think about how the cars reproduce? Not once. 
Absolutely not once. <laughs> it's a, actually it's actually a very hot topic in the uh, like the just the social media world of like Twitch viewers and stuff like that. People are very obsessed with how how baby cars come to in, into existence. It's a it's a it's a fascinating topic that I've never <laughs> thought of. Uh, yeah, just... yeah. There you go. Blue. And there are gone. there are kid cars. Is Cars your movie. number one movie? Uh, I really now some of this I firmly believe is um is like it's based on your life and your time and For when sure. you watched it. Like, Absolutely. I watched that a lot with my son. My son was of age at the time that Cars. We watched it a lot. I love Mater. I love his character yep. in the movie. Fire the cable guy. Shout um, out. But no, I, I love all the Toy Stories. I think all the Toy Stories are phenomenal. Um, like the Cars ones, to me, fell off the map. The sequels, I thought they sucked. I was not a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the Toy Stories were great. Yes. Every single one of them were great. Um, so probably either Cars or I would take sort of the totality of the Toy Story franchise. Okay. Would be, uh, you know what, though? Monsters, Inc. was really good. That's a that's a Pixar movie, yep, right? you're right. Yeah. That's number seven on this list. Monster, Monsters, Inc. Early, yeah, that was good. Yeah, that would be up there. I know some some people really like the more modern ones. Yeah, um, I, I look, mean, Coco was one of them. Um, yeah, yeah, I like. Coco I'm a little more six. traditional. I'm yeah, a little... I I was a big Finding Nemo guy. That was mine. That I just yep. really, I which love. is good. Like I, I'm not going to say that's yep. bad. Yeah, uh, no. I also would say uh, the Incredibles being their number one. I get it. Uh, I think Toy Story 2 is the best one on the list, and that's 10th, which makes no sense to me. But I agree with you. I think the Toy Story franchise is tremendous. All I think through. they overrated The Incredibles. It was fine. That's, I think it's a top five. I don't think it's number one, but I think it's a top five. It might be top five. Top ten. I love Pixar least. movies, to be fair, too. So uh, Everybody does. I'm, I don't know all, how you I'm in with all these. I mean, and, and there's, like I said, as a parent, you appreciate that there's sort of layered humor and layered storylines, some of it for the parents, some of it for the kids, Subtle humor, you know, double entendres, some of those types of things that are in some of these various movies. I enjoyed that. But okay, so that's our getting to know Chris Scheim because he's a dork. I'm a dork, sort of. And Rich Keefe is the dork. And they had a controversial list of Pixar movies. And Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft had some, I guess, somewhat controversial comments at the NFL owners' meetings. Patriots offseason continues to just sort of trudge along slowly. Jabril Peppers is in the mix. Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, yes, indeed. They are offensive assistants on the Patriots coaching staff. Bill Belichick made that quite clear, and they will have a a key role on offense in Mac Jones' development. We will be back next week to talk about something that could aid Mac Jones' development. That will be the off-day prospect podcast for next week on the wide receiver position. Can't wait. And I have a quick teaser. Let me hear it. I have fallen in love with a mid-round wide receiver I have heard no one talk about that I think is the perfect Patriot, he's a stud. He needs to be here, and you will find out next week. On so the I wonder if we have front. the same guy. We're both oh. gonna we're both gonna come with a mid round guy. We'd love for the Patriots to draft. That's our big tease. Yes, and you will find out the answer to that on the Off Day Podcast Prospect Edition next week. We'll be back with the regular Off Day Podcast talking about everything that happens in Patriot Nation. Hopefully, we'll have some more signings. I know some people like Tom Curran are still holding out hope that there's like this big trade, big move, another another shoe to drop. I don't think that's going to happen, but I'd be happy to talk about it if it does. He's Chris Scheim. I'm Andy Hartz. Another off day podcast. If you love it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Download the Odyssey app. Listen to us on the Odyssey app. It is the easiest way to hear the off day podcast. Until next week, 
Peace out. See ya. You've been listening to the Off Day Podcast with Andy Hart and Chris Scheim on WEEI.com and the Odyssey app. Hi, Bruins fans. Looking for more coverage of your favorite hockey team? Follow the Skate Pod hosted by Scott McLaughlin, Brian DeFelice, and me, Bridget Prue. Get your Bruins coverage from WEI's team of Bruins writers. We're the people who are at the games and talk to the players every week. For analysis of every Bruins game and exclusive interviews with the players, listen to the Skate Pod on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.